right in front of him. Crowder looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome into the Just Basketball Show. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. Make sure you subscribe or follow on your podcast platform of choice. If you have not already, five stars only on those reviews, please. And then remember to subscribe, hit that notification bell on YouTube. Thanks again to Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser for producing Brendan Jam Pack Show today. We're going to talk about Mike Budenholzer out in Milwaukee. What comes next for the Bucks? And we're going to whip around all these different series. We are recording this on Sunday at around noon Eastern time, 9 a.m. ish local time for Brendan. So we're going to do the the series that are going to happen later today. Games are going to happen later today. We're going to have those at the back end of the show, and we'll revisit them in kind of more detail later in the week. But, Brendan, we're going to start with a game that I have. You you have been the king on this show so far of coming up with games for us to do. So I decided I needed to return the favor, and I'm going to spring this on you. I actually gave you the option for full transparency to the listeners and the viewers. Could Did you want to prep? Did you want to just wait? And you chose surprise. So here we go. I was thinking last night is what we're watching. I'm watching Lakers-Warriors, and I'm thinking... Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, you know, here this is what I would I, I want to know. Let's have the listeners get to know us. Let's dive into something fun. Who would you, if you got there's celebrity row at these Laker games, there's like, you know, everyone Paul, you know, Dustin Hoffman is there, Kevin Hart, uh, Michael B. Jordan, Kim Kardashian, like you have like Rich Paul and, and Adele sitting next to each other. I always love when it's like they zoom in on Adele and it's like the real heads know it's like Rich Paul's on his phone, like right next to Adele, and it's just like yeah, this is the shout out to Clutch. Shout out to Jeff Siegel. Early bird rights forever. But got me thinking. If you got to like have your own celebrity row, four people you got to pick, three or four celebrities you got to pick to be in your celebrity row, who would they be? I'll give you a second to think about this. Here, here is mine. Number one, Paul Thomas Anderson, my favorite film director. It's just that's just mean. You get the I mean, you can count their partners. So I get my Rudolph in this as well. Okay. So I get Maya Rudolph in this as well. I'm picking Phoebe Bridgers. And by extension, I'm just taking all of Boy Genius. I'm really just extending this out. This is just very on brand for me. But we're just going Boy Genius. That that counts as one. I'm going to take Samuel L. Jackson. Because Samuel L. is just an icon. And just the energy he brings is, is one of one. And to get to round out the sad boy foursome. Well, actually, I'm going to pivot. I'm going to go Brie Larson. Big Brie Larson fan. There we go. That's my four. PTA, Boy Genius, Samuel L, and Brie Larson. Paul Meskel, a cut. Um, got some others that are cuts, but that's my four. All right. So my head met, went immediately to people who actually go to NBA games. Uh, not I did not. Don't, but I'm like, that's just where I jump. And some of them do, okay. right? I mean, I'm, okay, I'm sure Samuel L. Jackson you, has gone to games. I'm sure uh, Phoebe Bridgers Paul is Thomas just Anderson like a bit. has been in P- L.A. long enough. What Phoebe Bridge? Well, actually, Julian Baker from Boy Genius is a noted Memphis Big Grizzlies, Grizzlies fan. fan. Big Grizzlies yeah. fan. Had I want? I would like to know her takes on John Morant currently. Yeah, podcast uh, bucket list. Julian us, <laughs> Julian Baker. Sure. Can can we talk about Dylan Brooks with Julian talking, Baker for thirty minutes? Yeah, talking only Memphis Grizzlies. Um, yeah. All right. So yeah, with that said, I'm I'm going very much off the top of my head. I'm I'm regretting not not asking you to tell me this game sooner, but it's it's probably more fun this way. So. Adam Sandler. Oh, good one. Spike Lee. Just legend has to be on the list. Um, I'm really tempted to say. I'll do it. Jack Nicholson. I just oh, think love it. Love it. it. He's he's on the murderer's row. He's on the, you know, the legend list. He's on the Hall of Fame. I'm trying to come up with a musician last, so I'm just going to go Tyler, the creator. I think that would be a very uh, weird addition to that foursome and would be uh, a very funny presence on the side of a court. I don't know what types of things he would be liable to heckle players with. I don't know if he would even care enough to stay the whole game. It's a, it's a nice uh, mix-up and sort of um, reaction, like a, a a, a science class thing that just sort of explodes all over the place and the kids have to clean it up. I think that's what I'm setting up for myself here with those four, but they might also get along and they all seem to love basketball. So there we go. My, the one that I actually regret not putting in here, as you said, Tyler creators, I think I, I'm going to swap up Brie Larson for Jay-Z. Oh, good call. Yeah. So Dylan, you're going to have to, here's my four again, PTA, the King, 
Boy Genius, Samuel L. Jackson, and Jay Z. That's that's my celebrity row. That that's who I want. Jay Z just feels like he should just be at like all the big NBA games. Like I just it feels like right when you got Jay Jason Cortai, Jay and Beyonce if if possible. Although I gotta explain a little bit here. Yeah, what? I feel like so there were a lot of big media heavy hitters. Like Shams was at uh, Suns Nuggets game three the other night, and um, you know Amin El Hassan, and we got uh, a bunch of ESPN people and whatever. So like the media, the media comes out, but no one cares about that. The Nuggets don't bring the celebrities out. I really think it has to be the Nuggets. Like I hate to do that. You know they're up two one. <laughs> they might be up three one by the time anyone's listening to this show, but. Um, it was a little disappointing. They they did like the the the, the close ups and like Odell Beckham lives in Phoenix in the off season and so he was at the game. But that's old news. The best they could do was some rapper that I genuinely had not heard of. That was like the highlight of the game. Who who is the On rapper? Fr- a Friday night in the second round with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker playing, and it's like I don't even remember the dude. I think it was like some '90s rapper from a group that was like in a one hit wonder, and I I'd okay. already forgot. So. The Nuggets need well, to like, do better. The the, the well, NBA fandom world needs to appreciate Nikola Jokic and fly to Phoenix for this stuff because uh, well, we're getting outpaced by Miami and New York and L.A. and San Francisco. We can't keep up. Well, this, this the last thing we'll say about this is this year, Machine Gun Kelly is like this very famous Cleveland person that polarizing. But like, I don't know how <laughs> why it didn't happen or like what, you know, what the deal was. But like the fact that he he and Megan Fox were not courtside for like one big game was like a was a was an L to me. You gotta you gotta nail that one down. Like I don't know how this is with like with Cardinals players, but like if there's a like if Miles Garrett is at a Browns game, he will get like put on the jumbotron like five hundred bajillion times. They did like they didn't do it with Deshaun Watson when he was there during a playoff game. Wonder why that is, you know? Huh? Wonder what? Wonder about that? That might be an, an awkward interaction. But like they'll pay into Miles Garrett yeah, if Dick Chubb's able to do it. Terry Francona if he comes over on his scooter. But like they didn't get MGK and Megan Fox, and like I just felt like that that was a mistake. You gotta, you gotta like you gotta get that one. Yeah, pay you for the do flight. The best what you have? You gotta pay for the flight. Bring him in for like overnight. He has a coffee shop in the city. Like, come on. Uh mess that up all right brendan l big l uh but let's brendan let's go on to the real basketball stuff let's start with coach bud mike budenholzer out in milwaukee this is where i go with this this is where i go more than anything else the bucks have to nail this this is a hire that if that they have to get right this is this is the hire that is going to set the tone for the next couple years with Giannis. I don't know exactly who the right person is, but I feel like there are some options. There are a lot of different paths they could go here, but th- this is a hire. There's the honest contract extension of coming up. This roster is going to be really hard to shake up. That to me is probably the biggest part of all of this. I, I-, I get why you fire, but I don't totally know if it's like a guaranteed, like fixes everything for you. I don't really think that's like in play or maybe a new voice does help, but this is the hire that is going to dictate what the next couple years look like for the bucks in a lot of ways. It is, of course. Giannis is up for an extension in September, which I I know uh, the captain, the king of who's up for extensions when, the one and only Brian Windhorst, I feel like is the only person that I've ever heard talking about that. But once I heard him say it, I was like, that's interesting. That's pretty big. You know, not that he's a free agent this summer, but even just having the eligibility to sign an extension is always one of those, those milestone checkpoint moments for a player and their relationship to their team. And so I would imagine that the bucks did this in large part, knowing that that was going to be a pivotal moment and knowing that there's a lot of pressure to continue to win. And I don't even think that it's a pressure from Giannis. I mean, obviously, right. We just heard the whole fallout from the the failure versus not failure debate and and everything else and i don't think that he's the type of guy who will look at you know we got out in the second round without middleton in 2022 and then obviously the first round this year and and feel like the bucks failed him i think he's the type of dude who's always going to look internally but bigger picture this is an old roster and i think that's really the main sort of thing and i know a lot of bucks people that i've seen around is basically this idea that it's it has to operate in tandem. Whatever they choose to do with Bud is going or replacing Bud is gonna have a large role to play in what they do with the roster. And 
finding ideally a coach who can maybe do more with less here, I think is going to be pretty important too, because they don't have a lot of means to continue to upgrade. Right. And so that all leaves you with, I think the fundamental question here, Chris, is basically who are the coaches that make sense? And then, and more specifically, there's always this debate and I wonder where you fall on it of when you have, and this is always the question with LeBron teams because his coaches tend to get fired a lot. Um, <laughs> do you go with, do you have to bring someone in with pedigree, right? Do you have to bring someone in who's won a championship or been around a lot? Or do you try to find the great up and comer? Do you try to go with somebody who's actually more likely to maximize what it is that the players are doing on the court? Or do you do try to go towards somebody who is going to get along well with Giannis, demand the respect of the locker room, and get through to and connect with this veteran group? Uh, I'll, I have my thoughts, but that's a pretty basic question, I think, that's going to illustrate kind of where Milwaukee wants to go here because we haven't seen them hire a coach for five years. We don't really know how they feel. I think the, the way to start with that question is to run through the names. You have Charles Lee, who's an in-house assistant, who's a finalist for the Pistons job. If you're going to bet on continuity and, and someone Giannis knows and John Horst knows and understands this roster, you could go to Charles Lee. I think Frank Vogel should be on this list. This is a guy that won a title. I think is one of the most sound, technical, proven winning coaches we have in the NBA. I think he would make a ton of sense if you want that steady hand. Doesn't seem to have like the pedigree of like the biggest coaches, but is a really, really good coach who just won a title in L.A. And then you have like Nick Nurse. And I don't know if this is the right fit for Nick Nurse personality wise. I don't know if that's the way I'm going if I'm Milwaukee. But I think those are kind of emblematic of the three ways you could go here. You have the in-house up-and-comer. You have the real tactician guy kind of in nerves, at least defensively, who has a very strong persona. And then you have Frank Vogel, who is definitely different from Bud, but feels kind of like a, an evolution of Bud. A guy who knows what he's doing, is really competent, and you know exactly what you're getting out of him. Where I would go, Brennan, is I, I think Vogel would make a ton of sense. I, I think if you're looking at, I don't think Nurse makes sense for this. What he wanted to do in Toronto does not like apply one to one to me of what exists in Milwaukee. And like, I don't really like this roster is so old that I don't know if a coach who has loved to play his guys like these insane minute totals makes a ton of sense. I, I just don't think it does. Maybe he could adjust, maybe a new, you know, it could make some sense there. But I, I don't like love this fit, that, that fit between like what Milwaukee is and what Nick Nurse is. I think Charles Lee, if you, if you really want to bet, I can't speak to like, the assistance when we're talking about this is like to me is always very hard because like you could you could you read plus clippings you read I, I really miss that Kevin Arnovitz column before he went into the screenwriting where he kind of ran down the list of assistants that was always such a useful piece of journalism to me in understanding who the big names were um so like but it seems like he's very well thought of also Darvin Ham was in that case last year and I, I don't know if he it, there is a transition like Darvin Ham has had an, a transition in adjusting to being a head coach with the Lakers like it would, uh, it could be a lot to ask of Charles Lee to just step into that and nail it right off the bat with so much pressure on the line. That is where I go to Vogel. The principles are sound. He's one. He knows what he's doing. You know, maybe I don't know what that looks like for your assistants. I don't know what Giannis wants as well. That probably should factor into this and could factor into this. I'm sure. You know, maybe there's someone we're not thinking of here. You know, does Becky? You know, do they like go reach out to Becky Hammond and try to lure her away from the Aces? I doubt that's going to happen. Does like Doc Rivers get fired in Philly and they go the Doc route for whatever reason? Like, does D'Antoni throw his name into the mix or something here? Like, I think there are different ways this could go. But to me, when I think about the names, about who we actually understand, Vogel to me just would make a lot of sense based on a pedigree standpoint and based on just like this feels like a fair way to handle like we need to maximize right now with someone who actually is going to be, we, we don't have any doubts are going to be able to handle what's kind of coming in front of them. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really a matter of floor versus ceiling. I think with, with some of this, right. Where I think that the opportunities that you get when you go for somebody who maybe is a little bit more adventurous and creative from an X's and O's standpoint is going to try different things, is going to put different lineups out there, is going to, reinvent the wheel a little bit with how the team plays that's obviously a higher ceiling because you're talking about a team that's been very good but maybe can can get to great you know or can get the the most out of the role players in a way that they didn't before and, and some of these things uh, but 
it's a low floor because there's a very strong chance that even somebody like Charles Lee for the Bucks, right, to be more specific about this exact ownership uh, or this exact coaching staff is there's a chance that they just don't demand or get the respect from the star players and it it really blows up, right? Like, I think uh, in, in Phoenix, I had this experience with Igor Kokoshkov, right? He was the right-hand man to Quinn Snyder for a long time, got uh-huh. hired. It was a, a bunch of hullabaloo because he was the first you know, non-European-born head coach in the NBA, and he was a really smart tactician. He had coached Luka, then they didn't draft him. Different story for a different day. And then all of a sudden, it's like he just cannot get through to this locker room. And that wasn't even a star locker room. That was a bunch of kids, you know, and he couldn't even, you know, really get get them to to be aligned. So that's kind of what you're talking about. Um, but I'm always going to lean toward the assistants, personally. I'm always going to lean toward who's the next really smart person in the league and you just have to trust that your interview process gets a, a good enough understanding of what they're going to be able to bring as leaders, because that's hard to measure anyway. You're always taking a little bit of a coin toss, right? But I just look at what Milwaukee is, and I don't feel like Frank Vogel offensively. I just, I don't know what, what is he going to do for that team that hasn't already been done? You know what I mean? It feels like a little bit of status quo, and I don't think that's what they need. I do think that they need a little bit of a shakeup. I think that they need to maybe play a little bit differently. I think that bringing some different personnel in there and trying to reimagine what can a team be around Giannis at its absolute best. I think more shooting. I think a little bit more creativity with the offense. And I think Mm -hmm. a little bit, honestly, less protection on defense. I know that not having wing defenders, young athletic wing defenders, is a really big problem for them in that Miami series. They didn't have an answer for Jimmy that wasn't, you know, Drew, who he very clearly figured out, and then Middleton, who was a little bit cooked injury-wise that they didn't have like a third option there who really was going to make any sense. That's a personnel thing, but I feel like a a coach who's going to be able to develop a defense that takes a little bit more advantage of like, Hey, we have Giannis Antetokounmpo on our team. You know what I mean? Like that should mean something. We shouldn't have to have size at every position all the time. And kind of this very carefully protected type of thing. If Giannis is a superstar, which he is, then why are we kind of, uh, you know, insulating him so much with the lineups and the way we play. That That's kind of how I feel. I think as these teams age, as these like great teams age, you kind of have to get to that next level of like the superstar has to do more and it's fine. He can. So let's find a coach who's going to be able to get the most out of the other guys rather than trying mm-hmm. to protect, you know, the best guy. I know that's a little bit of an oversimplification of what Bud was doing, but that's kind of where I would be looking. So whether that's Charles Lee or... Um, somebody like uh, a, a few who come to mind are like Johnny Bryant, who we've talked about. He's with the Knicks, mm-hmm. has really helped Tibbs uh, evolve as a coach himself. Jordy Fernandez, who I know you're familiar with because he was in Cleveland staff, but he was also with the Nuggets for a long time. And then now uh, has 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 gone on to to, to brighter lights. And then um, Dan Craig, who he was with Miami forever. And he was a guy who you would hear get interviewed a ton. And then all of a sudden stopped getting interviews. But he was with Miami during a lot of the LeBron years and then even beyond that. And now he's been with, he's been the associate head coach for Ty Lue with the Clippers for quite a while as well. So um, those are some names that I would look at, but uh, yeah, it's a bummer. We don't have that Arnovitz article anymore because that was always fun to see is what are the, what's the Intel on like what the league thinks of a lot of these guys. Cause we don't have any idea, you know, we're kind of just guessing from the outside. Yeah. Uh, hopefully I, I assume part of it's cause he's a screenwriter now is like striking with the, the WGA. So solidarity with, with the writers on, on strike here from the just basketball show. That's where, that's where I go with that. But the, I, I really wonder what Giannis thinks and what is going through his head right now. And I, and I think really the biggest thing here, Brendan to me, and I, I think you hit this well, is I really just think this roster is just going to be tricky. This roster needs a reshuffling. This roster is there's not like a lot of avenues to reshuffle it and youth and make it youthful. Like what does Middleton do is such a big thing. You go into like real tax situations, assuming he's back like Brooke Lopez is free agent. He's at 35 and like how many years can you really be sure that Brooke Lopez is going to be that level? Right? Like that, that to me is a a real part of this. And, and that one's such a hard one because losing him for nothing would just be brutal. You but can't do it. Also, like you, you, you can't, can't do it. You can't pay him. I think it's one of those. You think it's like a one year, one or two year type of yeah. thing where it's like we're not what, we're not going to move on, but we can't. We don't really like want to commit to you either. <laughs> maybe like two years with like a partial guarantee. So like if you needed to, you could like trade it and like 
they at least have the matching salary. Like, I, I don't know what the right path is here for them. Like, this is going to be really hard. And maybe it doesn't matter because you have maybe the best player in the world. Like, maybe that, like, just kind of supersedes all this if you make nail this coaching hire. It's, it's, it's such a fascinating situation. I don't think there's, like, a perfect answer. If you had to... I, I haven't looked at, you know, a bet MGM or anywhere for odds, but... If you had to, if you could pick, like the, if you could just pick, if you could tell John Horst who you'd pick, who I said Vogel, who would you, who would you actually just pick if you're gonna pick right now? I think I want to just mention too, you, you brought him up, but Darvin Ham, the, the, the what if kind of game, if Bud did get fired previous to this season and they were able to just hire Darvin Ham to replace him, not only. We know that Giannis had a, a really deep connection with him from all the reporting that's out there, but also the fact that then he doesn't go to the Lakers and then who do the Lakers hire? And then they've had some success with their coaching change and he's gotten Anthony Davis to buy in as a center and all this different stuff. You feel like he would have been a really good answer here. And that, yes. that sucks, but I would probably go Johnny Bryant. It's just kind of based off of nothing. Again, I'm not anywhere near like plugged in enough to any of this to know that he has those leadership qualities that you're going to want, but I just think he's he has the experience scheming at a really high level for a pretty long time in the playoffs and has had a, a bunch of different opportunities to to be really good at it. So I would probably go him, or I would just go to Charles Lee, who was in the, the Arnovitz thing last year. Um, it says here, colleague, colleagues marvel at his ability to relate to everyone, tactical intelligence. He was... Uh, a trader on wall street prior to being an NBA coach, which is insane. Um, if they say if he had played a minute in the NBA or had any connection to the NBA outside of being a coach, he would have already gotten hired and it's sort of just an experience thing. But if I'm the bucks, I'm, I'm not making the Darvin ham mistake twice. And that would be my, my kind of number two. I dig it. I I'm fascinated to see how this comes. And I, and I wonder how long they wait that that is the other part of this. I really do wonder how long they wait through all this and, We'll see in the coming days. All right, let's move on to checking in on different series. Brendan, let's start with Lakers-Warriors. And we're going to try to talk through these series and in, in sort of through certain prisms, through certain kind of certain angles of these series. And with the Lakers-Warriors, Brendan, I want to talk about LeBron James. A friend of the program who I'd like to have on at some point, I actually have told him I'd want to have him on, is friend of the pod, Bill Filippo. Love you, Bill. He had a tweet that I think sums this up pretty well of where I'm at with LeBron. He tweeted this uh, late on, on Saturday. So wild, he, Bill wrote, that LeBron said, I went to a bunch of doctors until one told me what I wanted to hear about my foot injury, which probably needs surgery. And everyone went, sure, that sounds like LeBron. And he's playing right now and looks pretty fine. This was like a weird LeBron game in game three. He didn't take a field goal in the first quarter. He was not doing anything. Like, it was weird. And then it's like... Are we actually in this different point of LeBron? And I think we are to some degree. He's 38. He's played 20 seasons, all of the minutes, all of the playoff runs, the foot injury, all of that has accumulated. And then it's like, oh, there he is. There's, to me, the greatest player that has ever played professional basketball. He dominates stretches of this game. He is attacking. He's running around tipping passes. He just f- turns it on when he needed to, and he's picking his spots in a really extreme way. We're definitely in a different phase. We're definitely in a, in a thing. But then he has plays where, like, in the third, he has that spin and drive, and then he blocks the shot on the other end. This fucking guy, even if he's not peak LeBron anymore, is just going to be here doing this shit. Like, it's just... yeah, I, you, he, It's not full games anymore, but he's still going to have these stretches where it's like, oh, yeah, that's he's he's him. He is the king. It sort of feels like he has learned from the past, because this is sort of where he's been since the bubble, right? In terms of some of this really needing to pick your spots, not being able to do it full go for the entirety of a game, not being able to, to do the 45, 15, and 5 in 2012 type of thing anymore. And it almost feels like what we're seeing this year, the team is a lot better around him, so that allows him to do it. But it, it it's like, He's watched himself figure out and 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 feel out where he can impact the game. And it's it's almost like he's ready for this playoff run in a way that he wouldn't have been if they had needed it from him three years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of ready to just sit back and appreciate it because even the version of this dude to me who has the highest IQ in the NBA, 
and sometimes it's just kind of playing like the best role player in the league is still pretty awesome and incredible to watch and still one of one still unique and impacts the game. I'm not going to say at the level that he used to not going to say that he's been the best player in this series, but I'll say in the best possible way that it feels like he's capable of. And I'm just inclined to trust that he knows his body and his mind well enough to know that this is probably the best we're going to get of him. And he's figuring out a way to give it his best still that like, there is something to be said for that because again, this dude, it's 39 and 38 and a half years old. Like, you know, uh, it's not really fair to hold him up to his former standard. And if you hold him up to the standard of what it seems like his approach is, I feel like he's at 95% of what he's trying to do. And, and I mean, man, like they're winning. So how are you going to take it away from him? He, the, the Warriors, when he was going at stuff, like did not have an answer for him. And it was funny because I was watching the first half and it's like, he had a drive on Moses Moody that is like seared into my brain. Because I think if it was 2018 or 2019, even or in the bubble, like any time before like this, it's a dunk. Moody is too small to defend him. Moody is too small to stop bully while LeBron. That is like a, a level of his game. He really unlocked like in Cleveland the second time around that he has turned to a ton. And like we talk about the three point shooting and, and that really it's obviously it's been a, been an issue for months now with the foot. But he would have this bully ball thing. And like that that is what really helped him kind of attack the Warriors. It was a big part of what worked for Cleveland was was LeBron bully ball and the physicality. He couldn't do that for stretches. And then he just kind of can when he needs to. This I think, Brennan, it could be enough to win the series. The Lakers are not favorites to win the series at, at the books I've looked at. Such a missed opportunity from the Warriors in game three. Yeah, they and like Clay came out really hot. Clay came out like they, they had some stuff that really worked. Draymond's foul trouble, I think, certainly played a part in, in the lack of rhythm. Um, 19 you know, turnovers. It, yeah, yeah help. that helps. The Lakers are have a huge free throw advantage in this series. The Lakers, I think, could very well win the series. Like, I, but I, I, I wonder a little bit, is, it, is, is this version of LeBron enough to carry this team exactly where he wants to go? And it still feels like they're going to need a lot of AD, who is much better in Game 3 than he was in, in Game 4, or Game 2, excuse me. But is this LeBron, this guy who's like has his spurts, is that going to be enough for them to get to where he really is trying to get to? That, that is one of my open questions as we kind of look ahead here a little bit. Yeah, the Lakers are getting outscored by 20 points per 100 possessions with LeBron on the court in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it, it's bizarre. It's we've we're that that is like the sign of anything that we are just this is this is a new world, a new era. Yeah, they're they're plus 37 per 100 possessions with Anthony Davis on and minus 20 with LeBron on. Um it, it's it's wild, and I think it speaks to not just LeBron, but also how how good Davis has been. But the weird thing about this is it's really just a, a frequency thing, right? It's really like a picking his spots thing because he's still shooting 72% at the rim and 51% from mid-range in the playoffs. And I think he's shooting like low 30s from three, but you know it's not like he's ever been a, a 45% three-point shooter anyway. So it's it's just mostly that he's settling for jumpers and he's not taking as many shots, period. And so that's why the impact is sort of mitigated. And then we know how that sets up his other stuff. When he's able to drive, then that gets him to the free throw line. That gets the shooters involved. That slows the game down, all the types of impacts that it has. Um, this was really like a vintage defensive performance from him in a lot of the ways, though. And so I guess when you ask, is this enough for them to get where they want to go? I mean, it basically is Anthony Davis needs to be a hero on offense, right? They need to continue to create turnovers. They need to continue to get to the free throw line. And then they need to have at least one of the other guys go off every night, which that recipe has worked. It's a very weird thing to have a lot of unreliable guys who add up to like 0.75 of a reliable guy on any given night. Mm -hmm. But it's whether it's Russell or Reeves or Hachimura or Schroeder, feels like one of those four dudes is going to at least give you 20 you know, in any given playoff game. And and when you add that up with everything else, and as long as Davis has it going, that feels good enough to win. It's a very weird type of thing, but I think it also speaks to how wide open this conference is and how much parity there is around the league that that might be enough, at least to get to the conference finals. I, I think the Nuggets would be a pretty difficult matchup for them, but 
Um, I think, like, I, I'm with you. I mean, they're up 2-1. It'd be kind of crazy to say they couldn't win this series. AD, one of the things that was most impressive to me about Game 3, Brendan, aside from the LeBron stuff, is I understand he has the real shooting issues. And, like, it, he missed a ton of open corner threes in this game, and that is just, like, really hard. But one of the things that I came away most impressed by was how Vando and AD, when they're on the floor together, are both of these really smart, know how to switch kind of without having to call out the switch guys. They There's stretches where AD is, like, he knows he's he has to defend Curry, and he's, like, he can stick with him to get him on back onto a guard so he can go back to where he's going to be. And Vando like is just kind of naturally switching between these different things to stay in front of shooters. And obviously there are cracks. Clay is just going to take whatever looks he can get that open up in front of him. Steph's going to go off at some point. Like they're going to figure stuff out because they're the Warriors. But those two guys are on the floor together. I think are giving them these like really really great defensive minutes. And AD again was just like sensational on defense. Also, we have to probably give some respect to D'Angelo Russell, who was like kind of the offensive. Start, like he had a really really nice first quarter and like you know maybe not the the I'm not the biggest D'Lo guy but he is like what he's doing for this team like makes sense within the context of this team that it's a good place for D'Lo to be yeah he kept them afloat because you know that first quarter was when the Warriors were really humming and he his I don't know how many he had. I think all of his points were in the first half of this game which is very D'Angelo Russell but but, but like LeBron wasn't doing anything so it's like Exactly. Okay, like I'll, you'll take it. Yeah, you'll take it. And then the second and third quarter was really when the Lakers put the clamps on, started forcing a bunch of turnovers. LeBron's getting out in transition as an offensive and defensive player, making a difference. Anthony Davis is swatting everything in his sight, and they hold the, the Warriors to 38 points in the middle two quarters, and they score 63. So that was mm-hmm. about all you needed. But without that Russell performance, it's like I was saying, you know, they need... They need one of those four dudes to step up and, and give you 15 to 25, whatever it might be, on any given night. And they've been getting that. In this case, it was Russell. Where, where are you? Just we'll hit on the Warriors. Any, anything on their side pop to you? Anything concerning? Anything that would give you optimism for game four? I mean, it's the same thing we've been talking about with, uh, I think, all along, right? They need that consistent secondary scoring aside from Steph. And in game two, he was able to be used as a little bit of a facilitator and clay got hot. And so that was enough, but they just, they don't have it consistently. Um, they don't have that secondary scoring. And so there's going to be some games where it's 97 points. I know if they don't turn the ball over, maybe things are a little bit different, but you know, Jordan Poole was good in game one. Hasn't been as good since DiVincenzo apparently just going cold at the a- absolute wrong time. And we talked about Gary Payton, who, used to be a little bit of a factor in their offense and and just absolutely isn't anymore. So I don't know, maybe, maybe there is, you know, a, a Kevon Looney game in there somewhere where he can have a real difference making performance like he, he did in game one, but if that can come back, that could swing a game, but you know, really it's, it's Wiggins and clay getting open and, and making their, especially their threes, but you know, just, just scoring in whatever way they can. They're not really a heavy free throw team. Like this is a limited offense. That's what it's been all year. They just have to kind of do enough to survive in advance, I think, at this point in the year. If you had to, do you favor one team or the other right now? I think the Warriors should have won that game last night. And I think if they had, you would have felt like they were going to cruise to the win. So these things flip quickly. I, I wouldn't surprise me if they won game four and and this was still a long series. Um Lakers and uh, Warriors in five, which was my stupid slash bold prediction. Obviously, that's off the table now, but I would probably still lean Warriors just because I haven't seen anything so dramatic. But uh, the Lakers are they're they're the more, I guess, cohesive team. They have an identity, even though it's a little bit of a, a, a creaky identity that's not super reliable, but it, it's worked them for them against two really good opponents. So I guess, you know, they have the lead right now. They, they're favored. All right, let's move on. Heat Knicks. We're going to talk about Kevin Love. Brendan, I tell, how would you describe... I sent you some texts on Saturday. How would you describe what are the things that I... My, my tone in talking about Kevin Love at this current moment in time? Uh, somewhere between discouraged and apoplectic. <laughs> <laughs> that feels right. Um... 
That feels right. So look, Kevin Love is not all NBA anymore or anything. He, this is not Apex Kevin Love anymore. But what Kevin Love is doing is contributing to playoff winning basketball repeatedly. He is boxing out. He is creating problems for Mitchell Robinson is like a stretch out five and pulling him Mitchell Robinson out of the paint. I, I don't think that the Knicks are really attacking him in the way I would have expected. Like they're like he's hedging on pick and rolls because him dropping is is death for the heat defense. But like they're not like making him hedge a couple times and trying to carry leverage in those spots. Brendan, he didn't hit a three in in their game three win, and yet he's still plus 12 in additive. This guy has, like, gone in, and he's contributed to basketball. He's fitted with the quote-unquote heat culture, hashtag heat culture. And he's helping a team that is, like, I think should be pretty favored to win the series at this point. I understand he's, like, you can look at it and say, oh, he's not hitting threes. And, like, I got some pushback from Cavs people, uh, uh, Cavs Twitter people about, how he's playing, but like, I don't know how you can't watch him and think that this guy isn't like playing actual helpful playoff basketball right now. I under, like he just is and it's working and like, he's not getting ripped off the court. This is emblematic of just what the heat are like, like they're just finding solutions over and over and over again. And Kevin Love is, is one of their real solutions here. Yeah, I think I measure it the same way as you, which is, if you're able to stay on the court for a team that's winning, I'm going to defer to your, you're doing something right, right? I know they don't have a lot of options. They're down Tyler Hero and Victor Oladipo. They didn't have a very deep or, or trustworthy roster to begin with. You know, you're talking about Hay- Haywood Highsmith and, and some of these guys who would have to be stepping in in place of, of love. They are getting outscored by four points per hundred possessions with him on the court. Um, so I guess that has to to factor in here, but they are also getting outscored when Jimmy Butler is on the court in this series somehow. So a lot of this is, is weird. Um, what I will say is his ability to be what is needed, I think is, is probably the most useful thing that he provides. And in game, what was that three? He was Mm -hmm. just in pass mode. You know, he's, he's attacking closeouts and driving and dishing to, 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 you know, that dump off pass to the dunker spot he is, you know, keeping it moving around the arc to reverse the ball to the weak side to find a shooter. He knows that him scoring is not going to be a good result for their offense. And he knows that obviously defensively, that's that's not why he's out there. But if he can get a defensive rebound and hit the outlet pass, if he can, you know, beat the defensive rotation with a nice uh, high IQ ball reversal, if he can, you know, find a timely offensive rebound put back, like it's just, how can I impact the game for the 20 to 25 minutes that I'm out here in order to execute what's being asked? And, and like you said, punish what the Knicks are. And he's been doing that. And I think, you know, we, we wanted to talk about a little bit too, kind of what this is the, this is the heat superpower, right? This is the heat's cheat code, the ability that they have to find these guys and plug them into exactly the role that's going to make sense for them to beat the opponent that they are facing. And that's why Eric Spolstra gets so much respect. And that's why this organization gets so much respect. And so it's kind of funny to think of Kevin Love in the same way we think of all of their undrafted free agents and, you know, uh, scrap heap guys. But for all intents and purposes, Kevin Love was a scrap heap guy this year. And they said, well, he obviously has talent. He fits what we do. Let's go ahead and get him. And they're figuring it all out. They're going to win this series. I I feel yeah. pretty sure I I just it think might not they're be better. Close. This is like if there was a coaching gap in round one between Tibbs and JB Bickerstaff, that is now entirely flipped, which like isn't really a surprise. But Spo is just hitting every button. They have the right guy stepping up. One of the things that also really mattered was the Knicks had this huge offensive rebounding advantage in in round one. In game three, they were still above average, but like they didn't kill you on the offensive glass in that way. They didn't like wreck the game in that way, and like. The Heat, meanwhile, were killer on the offensive glass. Like I, like yeah, the 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 Heat have just like identified what the Knicks are and said we will beat you at this, and we know how to do it, and we trust our guys to go in and execute these game plans. It is just like so drilled down and specific. I, Brendan, I'm doing an episode on Monday of Unlocked on Cavs with my co-host Evan Damerel about like things the Cavs can learn from the teams left in the playoffs. I'm going to talk about Devin Booker because I can't help myself about like how he plays versus how Donovan Mitchell plays. 
is another thing I've texted you a fair amount about. The other thing is to just like look at how the Knicks have played against the Heat versus how they played against the Cavs. That is game planning, that is toughness, that is personnel. But all those things, it's just like this is going to get them to a conference finals. I don't think they're going to beat whoever gets out of that other series, probably Boston at this point. But they're probably going to like take it to six games and, and make Celtics fans sweat and make that like nervy at times. Like that's just what they do. Even if this isn't the best team, even this isn't like the highest ceiling team, they just execute these things at such an insane level that it's kind of, it's, it's just, you have to tip your, you have to tip your cap to him. And like hashtag key culture in, in that specific sense is just a, it, it is a real thing as annoying and clean and kind of easy to make fun of as it is. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, so I, I think you're right to a degree that some of this has been uh, a coaching disadvantage. I think that there's a lot of it that that's just personnel. I, I would say to give the coaching stuff a little bit of credit first, I do think that the Miami game plan against Jalen Brunson or really just against the heat in, or against the Knicks in general in order to take away the comfort that Jalen Brunson was able to have in that first round has been really good. You know, seven of 20 from mm-hmm. the field in game three, eight assists to zero turnovers, but they're turning him into a three point shooter they're uh you know forcing him into a lot of late clock decisions where he's not able to you know really be patient in the way that Jalen Brunson wants to be patient they're blowing up some of the initial stuff they're making Jalen Brunson have to get the ball back after a few seconds have have gone off um and so a lot of that's good and then it's it's forcing kickouts to a lot of their shooters and I think that's one of the other things that he'd always do well which is they're going to pinpoint exactly what the best What's the best thing that we can make the series hinge on? And we're going to make it hinge on that, right? And it's like, yeah, the the Knicks spot up shooters making shots, we will live with. And you look at Julius Randle, Josh Hart, and RJ Barrett, the three guys in the starting lineup who took the most, that's four of 18 combined for those three guys, right? And then quickly in Grimes and Toppin also missing. So they end up at eight of 40, right? So it's some of that stuff, but... I think some of it's personnel too. And I just think, you know, conversation for after the series is over for sure. But I I think that there's going to have to be a a pretty long contemplation in that New York front office about if Julius Randle should be on the team next year. Um, If, if he, if for where they are now, the steps forward that their young role players have taken and how good Jalen Brunson has been, if he is the the right guy to continue to take them where they're going, you don't want to judge a guy injured. I understand that's a factor, but He's now had two playoff runs where he just has not made a very high impact on either end of the floor. And so they're a second round team. And if they want to treat themselves like that and make decisions accordingly, I think Randall might be the kind of the guy to go because that's the outlet, right? That's the, okay, the ball's in his hands. He needs to be able to make something happen. And a lot of the time, that's just a contested jumper. Some of Randall's, there's some clips of Randall's effort that I've seen in like in, in watching the game that I was just like, oh boy. Not not great from Julius Randle. Um, I mean, if you're going to be a, 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 a negative defender, which I think in most cases he is outside of just sort of one-on-one in the post, you've got to do more on offense. And he's not doing that either. So minus six in 38 minutes, and there you go. Tough. All right, let's move on to Suns Nuggets. 2-1, game four, Sunday in Phoenix. Uh, maybe and go back to Slumdero. I think Emma Stone should be at this game just to, to get this rolling. I did. There are stills. Of, I should have said uh, Nathan Fielder. Uh, his pre- his his energy <laughs> in some of these courtside. Uh, he's he's really more of a baseball guy. But wherever he shows up and he just has the the straight face, like uh, resting bitch face type of thing going. Um, it's it's iconic. But which I'm one, good with my which crew, one of, But but he which one of the, he's a he's a backup. Are you a succession watcher? Mm-hmm. Okay, so which yes. one of the Roy children would you want to like come to a game if you're going to do the that? The actual I, Roy children or the actors? Well, I'll answer it both ways. Because my answer so is the same the for actors, both because I'm, I'm a weirdo. Okay, the actor I, is Sarah <laughs> Snook without a question. Yeah, and that's like actually no, the absolute okay, that, most fun person ever if you yeah, look that, at no, any that, of like, the behind-the-scenes clips. No, that's um, the right answer. From the character standpoint, it's Connor. Um <laughs> I would just love to see him in an NBA game environment and just sort of like trying to schmooze, but also not doing it correctly and just being completely out of his element as like an uptight weirdo white dude in the middle of an NBA game. 
uh, just trying to like get mad Ish- Ishbia to like donate lots of money to his like campaign to like move him like, but, like asking him polls. during play and just not getting it, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's like a, a timeout going on, and he walks over. It would be, it would be. Yeah. What was your answer going to be? So my well, the, you're I'm changing it because the Sarah Snook in real life one is the right answer. Um, but I'm I'm taking I just I I think Jeremy Strong is like my favorite actor to watch do anything right now, and like that guy just like fascinates me. Uh, and Kendra Roy also fascinates me. I also just can't imagine like like Roman Roy in like courtside seats and behaving himself. Yeah, that makes me incredibly uncomfortable <laughs> to think about. So that's yeah. why he didn't get the vote. Yeah, just imagine like Kim like like ending up next to like Kim, like Kim K, like a Laker game. Yeah, just the shiftiness and like general <laughs> explosive <laughs> possibilities of of roman at any given point roman uh, roman and roman really and Kyrie, would make my skin crawl roman and Kyrie irving in the same building would just be like some 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 stuff that would happen i'm sure roman and dylan brooks in the same building let's go make it happen Kyrie might end up on the presidential ticket if roman had a a, a, a shot with him <laughs> 10 minutes yeah, private conversation some funders right. set up yeah that's true yeah. all right so suns nuggets uh let's talk about devin booker because brennan he's the best player in the suns he is like he, he's been the best player in the playoffs i understand it's kd but like booker is dictating this team he has ascended into this point guard role now with chris paul out um i think frankly also campaigns wings to play just a little faster than chris paul was was helpful i think Booker's experience being a point guard in his career probably was useful in this. They attacked and attacked and attack. And I think if there's a hope for them in the series, and I don't, you know, game four, we'll say a lot about that. Three, one versus two, two is a whole different thing. I think like the, what the angles he gets at and the way he sliced them up in game two would really give me hope for the Suns offense, just really working itself out going forward. That to me more than anything else was, was really indicative, but Booker is, how he how he is used, how he's willing to play, the the combination of those two things is just such a it's the blueprint for everything they are to me when I when I watch them is I I am blo- I've been blown away by Booker and really dialing in on him these plays and really frankly getting to talk to you more about this stuff than I think I ever I my my appreciation of Devin Booker has gone from like this guy's really good to like I I'm pretty kind of all in on Devin Booker at this point that's where I'm at is he a top five player in the NBA? Let's do the list. Okay, so if this and it's Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid are there, right? Well, who's your who's your number one right now? Based on where we are, it's a snapshot. I think a lot will be said about the rest of the postseason for us to be able to really give that answer because we're in the middle of the second round. It's a little bit of a, a weird time to to do this, but if I asked you right now, if some random person asked you, who do you think the best player in the NBA is? What would your gut instinct be? Giannis. Yeah, I. So Giannis is, I think, most people's answer. I really have to say that the way that, especially the fourth quarter of that game five went to me. For sure. I think that mattered. Like he was like one of 12 and he was taking awful shots. He didn't want to get to the free throw line. And and I understand all the injury stuff and whatever, but that that affects it to me. I and the more that I just like try to. Think about what player is impacting things at the absolute highest level the most consistently to lead to the most team success i really come back to curry like it's it's at least a 1a 1b for me between Mm. those two guys um so i know he just had a bad game three two so you know not not the best timing there but um that that's my that's my one and two in in some order and and then i probably go Jokic after those three I would have said Durant like a year and a half ago, but he's now had two postseasons where he's not really lived up to that. So anyway, I think Booker is in the conversation. I, I kind of think once you, you throw Embiid in there, you throw um, who else are we forgetting? I mean, Durant, Anthony Davis, I guess those guys are both in there. I'm, I'm still putting like LeBron, like he just is in that discussion as long as he's around. Like he just is. I don't think he's a top five player. He's close. Though. He's a top. Maybe he's a top 10 guy. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just that's he's not on my list. Yeah, I'm just I just like like this is I just will put him in there. There's yeah, I think Booker's closer than I uh, Booker's closer than I think maybe like we discussed publicly. That has been kind of dictated yeah. with him to date. Like I like if, I th- I think like he 
Like if he had extrapolated what he did over the fifty something games that he played, like it'd be him and Shea first team all NBA. Yeah, to me. Booker to me is it can be boiled down as simply to guy I just mentioned. He has been the genuine, not just because Durant has struggled, he has been the best player on a team that has Kevin Durant in it. On it, right? Like mm-hmm. they they have five playoff wins, almost all of them directly because Devin Booker was the best player on the court. Um and he I, I don't want to say he doesn't have a weakness, but I'm also probably a little too keyed into those weaknesses because I've watched almost every single game he's ever played, you know? Yeah. Um, I think his handle, especially with his left hand, is a little bit weak in traffic. I feel like he does make some bad decisions at times. He is a very good defender overall, I think, at this point. Uh, a good defender, but I think most of that comes on the ball and making, you know, game plan reads. I, I think off the ball, he can still get get fried a little bit. You know, he, whatever. He can get a little bit in his head with the with the officials, but I also think it's fair to kind of judge him at that level now, too, because, look, he's played himself up to being that level of granular, right? Like, he doesn't get to have the up-and-coming guy now. I think he's proving, like, you're the, the level of conversation we're at with Devin Booker now is can he be the best player on a team that wins a championship? Um, and in 2021, it was a little bit weird. It was a balanced team. It was Chris Paul being much better than he is now and DeAndre Ayton playing mm-hmm. at a higher level and a lot of great role players now it's it's really Booker and Durant, but more so Booker. And I mean, he's answered that. The answer has been yes so far uh, that he can be the best guy on a team that, you know, makes it a series with two of the best teams in the West. I'm really curious to see going forward, like how they decide to to kind of decide the point guard situation next to Booker, because you could go in a lot of different ways with that. But that, that feels like such a swing piece. And obviously what they do with Aiden could could have some kind of thing. And then what happens with Chris Paul, obviously we'll have. Um, a big saying that he is my my he's just a ridiculous basketball player man like that guy is just I'm so I'm just so impressed at it Brendan you can maybe this is a question you can answer better than I can from someone who's not covering this team going to media stuff all that things is the way that they use him in terms of coming off of screens to get him going like downhill in like some of the really tight actions they run with like a screen and a roll in the middle of the floor where he's kind of like maneuvering in, in the paint or getting a midi and his willingness to like come off of an, a screen off ball and spot up, do all this stuff. Is that something about he wants to play or is that how the Suns have decided this is how we're going to best going to use? Like what is like the, the marriage between those two things with Booker? It's absolutely the way that he wants to play. And that was one of the notes that I had for us to talk about too. I think that there is such a, bravado uh, bravado is not the right word because that kind of seems like showmanship there's such a confidence to the style that he has chosen to develop himself into right like there's a version of devin booker that made a that, that could make a ton of money could be a hugely impactful player on a great team in, like, a, a, <laughs> like a super chart well uh, no i mean I think there's a different type of confidence with how Donovan Mitchell plays. The guy type of guy that I was thinking of is Clay Thompson, right? Or or a player oh, like yeah. that, right? Like yeah. I think that there's oh, a version okay. of Book, and that's kind of the type of guy that he was compared to when he came out because he was a sixth man at Kentucky. He was he was a late lottery pick, and you know you can make a max deal and and be on a great team, be really you know wealthy, and you know still get to date your Jenners and get your brand deals and a Nike shoe and whatever doing that. He has committed to this three-level scoring game, emphasizing the second level, which almost nobody in the league does. You know, everything flows from his threat to pull up on a dime and make the mid-range shot. To commit, like, uh, the guy that I think of with this, Chris, is actually uh, DeMar DeRozan. Mm. Because when DeMar DeRozan went to San, when he went to San Antonio, we really got to see, like, this second era of DeMar and obviously he's kept that going in Chicago but it was like wow you know he he has this maybe the best footwork in the NBA you know Kevin O'Connor wrote a big piece about him once upon a time with kind of making that claim the playmaking ability that he was able to flash when he didn't have you know quite so many other talented players around him and he wasn't trying to be on a championship team and he could really just sort of spread his wings but that was like 
early 30s DeMar DeRozan after a decade in the NBA. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This is Devin Booker after you know a long time in the NBA at this point. But there was a, a concerted commitment to doing that because he felt like that was going to be the best way for him to affect the game. And so, yeah, I mean, when Monty Williams got here and when Chris Paul got here, they both lauded him for he wants to do that. He doesn't want to be a guy who develops on a bad team with the ball in his hands for as long as he can and then eventually cracks into the playoffs and, you know, sees what he can do. Like he wanted to bring talent in so that he could play off of it. The incredible thing we're watching is he did that. They got Kevin Durant, but he is blown up to the point where there's no better choice but to put the ball in his hands. And not to nitpick something you said, but you you mentioned that he's become this point guard with Chris Paul out. No, he became this point guard with Chris Paul in. Sure. And no, you're right. It was the best option for their team. But like I, I and I'm not just saying it to correct you, I'm saying it to like emphasize that's crazy. He's a better point guard than Chris Paul right now, and he's a better one-on-one shot creator than Kevin Durant. I mean, what the hell? Like, that's insanity for a dude who, again, could have just been Clay Thompson. Yeah, he. If they win the series and they come back, it's going to be because of him. Do you like, think it, they it's do? Gonna, no, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I picked them to make the finals, like coming out of the West, coming to the playoffs, and like a lot of that was about the ramp, but a lot of that was also about Booker. It's not impossible if it's two two going back to Denver. Like, it's on. You know, like game, we're recording this before Game Four. When we record next. We'll either have a series or we won't. And if Booker comes out and has like a 40 piece and Durant maybe hits some catch and shoot threes, like sounds could be in business. That 80% that, that, shooting 47 points, no free throws in game three. So I completely agree with you that what he was able to do with the level of confidence he did it in game three. I mean, if, if that, if, if he's buoyed by that, it is a series again. And I picked the Suns in seven. I wasn't super confident in that, but you know, we're still on track for that type of a reality. Also, it would help if Dandre Ayton like did something positive. We're talking about that midweek. I want to give him one more chance in game four, but maybe game <laughs> five. We'll talk after game five. I don't know. Yeah, I sent you some I sent you some things about the <laughs> I think Monty Williams jack- sent us some things with his rotation decisions. So that that he did. All right, let's wrap up Celtic seventy sixers. Brennan, the, the Jays, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, they're winning the series. And let's talk specifically about Jalen Brown. He's going to get all NBA. He's going to get the, the super max if he wants it. What I think to me has unlocked so much of Jalen Brown is his handle over time. I want to shout, uh, shout out my guy, Nick Kimiati, who's a big Celtics fan. I know he has, we had a conversation about this in a group text the other day and his handle, even just from last year's finals, I think has gotten better. It is not, it is not as loose. It is not as strippable. It does unlock his driving game to this level that I think really makes him really hard to guard in the half court, really makes him hard to guard against teams that don't have like a, t- a bunch of good wing defenders. And Philly isn't a team loaded with wing defenders. There's room and opportunity for, for Brown to attack. Um, you know, this obviously, when he was really young, this was, was an issue with his game. It was an issue in the finals last year. It has gotten better and better and better he's been great. And like he at times feels like the hammer. Tatum was the hammer in game three. Um, more more so than Brown to me. But there's been times this year, obviously, where Brown, I think, buoyed by his handle more than anything else, has really been the hammer for Boston when they've needed it. I, and I, I think, you know, they, they won the game in Philly where Embiid got his MVP. They handled it pretty well. Harden, again, did not play well. We'll talk about him midweek as well. well he gets an, he also gets another chance to, to, to resurrect a little bit here. But I, if I'm... If I'm Boston, I feel really great right now, and it's in large part it's it's because of the Jays to me. It's all about the Jays. So let's keep on Brown. Um, his turnover rate is higher in this playoffs than it was last year, and is in the regular season, it was about the same. Um, a little bit of a higher usage in both cases, so it evens out a bit. But I I guess I look at that and I don't necessarily see being cleaner with the basketball. The one thing, because I saw your note in there before we hit record and I was thinking about it a little bit because I am curious. I think it's an interesting conversation because I think I feel him being more impactful. I mean, his true shooting percentage Mm -hmm. is way up. Mm -hmm. He's been, I would say, a bigger threat overall. The best I could kind of wrap my mind around what would explain it, because I'm not going to... I don't watch the Celtics enough to necessarily feel like I can see a a dramatic difference in his 
handle. Although, you know, again, if you want to jump in, feel free. Yeah. The best thing I could come up with is I almost feel like him choosing to try to pass less has helped. Yes. hundred percent. hundred percent. I think, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Like, so cleaning the glass in the, in the playoffs um, right now for in the regular season, he had his best year in the short mid. So in that four to 14 foot range at 45%, that was his best number since his 1920 season. He's at 47% on, on long mid rangers. Like, so he's, he's killing there in the playoffs this year, Brendan, he's at 54% on short mid range attempts, not as good on the long mids at 32%. So that's really falling off, but he's getting into that 14 or four, four to 14 foot range. And I think like he gets there and he's big and he's strong and he's able to get off shots there now. And like, that was not the case for chunks of his career. Like that was just not always a thing he really, really could rely on. He's a 67% at the rim in the playoffs. That's a 3% bump off of last year as well. His effective field goal percentage is like above 60% in these playoffs. And it's 6% um, above where it was at in the regular season when he had a really, really good regular season. He, I, I think it is a strength and I think it is looking for shots. He's not the cleanest passer, right? Like he's not going to be this guy that whips around these like insane kind of no look passes or like is an elite creator in that way. Like I, I think that's where like if he was like a number one on a great team, I would wonder what that looks like because I don't know like how that exactly translates one-to-one when you don't have that plus-plus creation ability. Like if he had to play point guard for Boston, I don't know if that's working, right? Like I don't know if he had to do prolonged stretches of creation for others. I don't know exactly what that looks like in, in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. But what he can do is like with a sl- I think a handle that is not perfect, but is good enough. When he used to dribble off his leg, a chunk of fair amount. And he can get yeah. to his spots and he can hit these shots because he has the strength. I think that has just unlocked the level of his offensive game that was not there. And it makes when you have two wings like that, as much as sometimes there are late game offense creators and, and all of that, it gives them a lot more. I think you can kind of bank on it. And that feels real to me. Yeah, I mean, it's. It's funny, and I think it's a great player development lesson, and I, I've. I've wanted to have this conversation on a bunch of different guys. It's just a lot of the players that it comes to mind with aren't always um, flashy enough that we've been able to talk about them on the show, but maybe during the draft and some of that stuff, it, it's a good chance to, to dip in. But I think it applies to Jalen Brown. The number one thing I feel like we we forget about watching players over the course of their careers get better is 99% of the time, that's going to come from doing what they're great at better, not mm-hmm. adding things suddenly becoming very good at things that they were not good at previously. It's going to be what's great. What's great about Jalen Brown. The dude played the four at Cal, right? He's like a six, six, four. What's great about Jalen Brown. He is overpowering. He's a freak athlete and he, you know, has enough touch and IQ and whatever uh, with the ball in his hands to, to get to the basket and finish. That's basically what made him special from the jump on the offensive end. This idea that he was going to become some sort of spraying, you know, pick and roll passer. I don't think anyone thought that, but there's a part of, you know, analysis of these guys that sometimes is like, well, if he could just this and that, it's like, no, what he's going to do is keep being amazing at the stuff that he's amazing at and figure out how to use that to his advantage. So basically what it feels like he's done is I'm not going to do as much of the stuff I'm bad at because now my game is, has grown to the point where I can do the stuff I'm great at at an even higher level and more consistently and get to it more easily and this and that. And I've seen how teams want to try to stop me in the playoffs. I know what I'm going to do to counter that and whatever. I'm going to attack early in the clock. You know, I'm going mm-hmm. to, you know, the coaching staff is, is putting him in spots to succeed. I'm sure that, that maybe we're not picking up on every single time compared to five years ago when we don't always remember that stuff. But, but that's just a cool part of, of, I think, the NBA and how guys get better that, that Brown is a great example of. I think R.J. Barrett is another one of those we could talk about at, at, at some point. Um, but yeah, that, that's to me what's really special about him. Do you feel like these guys are better enough to get over the hump this year? Like, Do you feel better about them midway through the second round than maybe you did last year? No, I feel about the same. Yeah, I don't same. trust the I don't trust the coaching as much, and the late game offense is still just like often a bungle. I so I think you know we can have this conversation later because again we're at the end of the show and uh, there's a game that's going to happen. But um, maybe as I think they'll win this series, so 
you know, we'll have a conversation in the conference finals and whatnot. The interesting thing about this team to me is the guards are better, but the bigs are worse than last year. And so I don't know how that evens out. I think it's going to be very matchup dependent. I think there's a version where they could be very equal. I mean, they took the Warriors to six games anyway. They had a 2-1 lead on them. It took an all-time performance from Curry to, to, to take them down. This was not like a, a failure last year by any means. But um, I think there's a version where they could be about the same in it, and they, they just win the title anyway. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with being close to your peak in your mid-20s. That's sort of what's supposed to happen. And then the team around you just has to get better, and you have to kind of figure things out. But um, I think that there's... I think Brown has impressed me more in his evolution this year than maybe Tatum has. I feel like Tatum has had mm -hmm. a very similar season to last year. There's nothing wrong with that either. Dude got MVP votes, but I don't know. The, the weird thing about the Celtics is it doesn't feel like there's necessarily one thing about their greatness that happens every night. Right. And that's just a tough spot to be in. Their biggest strength to me is that they've built a pretty great roster. Like they have the, all these the best roster in the NBA, right? Right, and it, you look at what they you look at what they have. They have all these big guards that can switch and defend. They have two really good wings. When he's healthy, they have really good center play with Rob Williams and Horford. They even have like kind of like they can go to Hauser if they need to for certain stretches. Like they have options. And like they're just there's not like weak spots in switching. Like yeah, like you know you're gonna hunt Horford a little bit, but you don't. That's not like hunting like the worst center in the league or anything like that. Like it's still like gonna be a challenge. He's gonna contest. He's gonna know what to do. The roster is just rock solid everywhere. And to me, that kind of structural strength probably gives is is what carries them more than some of the kind of works helps them work through some of the issues that that we're kind of identifying here. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Horford is probably the number one guy to watch there as they go forward. I think mm -hmm. he's been noticeably less impactful this year on both ends, and that happens when you're in your late 30s. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Robert Williams is unreliable for obvious reasons, and so that that could be the thing. You know, if you're looking forward, it's like, does Denver challenge them there if they get if that's the finals matchup? Um, does Embiid have a otherworldly performance the rest of the series? I don't think that's out of the question. Um, that would be sort of the, if that were to happen, I wouldn't be surprised given what we've seen from Horford, but you know, that's a, it's a fairly small weakness, all things considered. It's like they have answers. They're just not perfect answers. Some teams don't have any answers for stuff. They have answers for everything. Yeah. I think that's dead on. All right. Any, any final thoughts, Brendan, any last things you want to get off your chest before we wrap this up? No, uh, wish me luck with my sanity in Phoenix for game four. Yes. All right. We're going to end there. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brennan Clean. Please subscribe, rate, review on your podcast platform of choice. If you've not already, thanks again to Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser for producing. And if you haven't already checked it out, go back in the feed, go back on the YouTube channel. Brennan interviewed Bulls guard Alex Caruso. It's a great interview. You should go check that out if you have not already. I believe it's available as a standalone video if you want to just check out Brennan chatting with, with AC. Um, until next time, this has been the Just Basketball Show for Monday, May 8th or Sunday, May 7th, depending on where you're listening to this. Enjoy the hoops. They're probably going to be pretty good.